following podcast is part of the Underdog Sports Podcasting Network. For a full list of our shows, as well as breaking sports news and engaging feature stories, visit us at www.theunderdogsports.com. Basketball Society. going on everybody this is Alex Fishbine back again with the Atlantic Files and of course we're coming to you with episode number 71 and as always we are brought to you by basketballsocietyonline.com where you can find a lot of basketball coverage spanning over the wide wide array that is the basketball world we have high school we have college we have nba we have wnba we have international we have guys playing basketball in your backyard in your local park we have everything there for you so definitely check out basketballsocietyonline.com for all of your basketball needs And we are brought to you by the Underdog Sports Podcast Network. Make sure you guys check out the other podcasts on the network. It has podcasts for pretty much any sport you can think of. I know they have golf. I know they have MMA. They have basketball, football, baseball, anything really you can think of. Definitely give those podcasts a listen as well. And you will not be disappointed. Now. Getting to today's episode, what I wanted to talk about, there is a team that I actually haven't talked about too much so far this season, and I wanted to touch on them because, especially later on this week, we will be talking some Brooklyn Nets with our correspondent, Mike Bash. I know I told you guys that he would be appearing on the next episode, but of course, we had Thanksgiving, and, you know, family things come up. So... Uh, Mike had attended some family things for Thanksgiving. I mean, this is also why you're getting this episode now instead of, like, a few days ago because I had Thanksgiving myself. So, the team that I want to get into this week is the Toronto Raptors. And, well, I also want to touch on the New York Knicks as well because I haven't really talked much about them either. I mean, you guys know we talk we talk a lot of Nets because we have Mike Bash on the show here uh I mean, this will be a second time, but um, we haven't had a Nets correspondent before, so now we are talking more Nets. Obviously, we talk a good deal of Sixers because you guys know I am from the Philly area, so I will talk Sixers. And we've been talking a lot of Celtics because they're the best team in the division. So, you know, it leads up the other two guys um, that are kind of, I don't want to say flying under the radar because the Knicks really aren't flying under the radar. A lot of people are surprised that they're even close to being as good as what they are right now. Um, nobody was expecting them to have an over 500 record at this point in the season. And they especially weren't expecting them to even play well at home, let alone play well in general. And of course the Raptors 
See, the Raptors are funny to me because they were always looked at in recent seasons as like the only real competitor coming out of the Atlantic Division. But these days, honestly, they're like the most boring of the Atlantic Division. Now, don't get that confused with like the worst or, you know, the... I don't want to say they're the least fun to watch either because, you know, when Lowry and DeRozan are really have it going on, they're really fun to watch. But as far as storylines go, they're the most boring. Because when you're watching the Nets, you're almost halfway cheering for them because they've been so bad for so long after trading away the entire future of their team to just get the past-their-prime, over-the-hill versions of Paul Pierce and Kevin Garnett. And so when you see a guy like D'Angelo Russell on their team really playing well, really injecting some life into that Brooklyn Nets team, along with guys like Spencer Dinwiddie and, you know, Rondé Hollis-Jefferson and Karis LeVert, so on and so forth, then they are pretty fun. The Sixers, obviously very, very fun to watch these days with Embiid and Ben Simmons. Uh, and then you got the Knicks, who who have been really fun just because of Chris Depp's Porzingis, and then the random explosions of uh, Hardaway Jr. And then the Celtics have been amazing because even without Gordon Hayward, they went on that 15 game win streak. They're 18 and three, and it's it's crazy. Um, and speaking of which. Last season, we usually started off with the standings of the Atlantic Division, and I do want to get back into that. So the standings, obviously, like I said before, the Celtics are the number one team in the Atlantic at 18-3. and The Raptors are second at 12-7. and The Sixers are third at 11-7. and The Knicks are fourth at 10-9. and And the Nets are fifth at 6-12. and And so as I was saying about the Toronto Raptors, they're not the most boring to watch, but the storylines are kind of boring because not much about the team has changed. Sure, they've gotten some younger guys here that are starting to contribute. They did kind of hit some good points in the draft uh, as far as like OG Anunoby, um, as far as Pascal Siakam. They, they have hit some some nice little, little I don't want to say gold mines, but you know, they found some their their version of diamonds in the rough, like Covington is to the Sixers. Um, Siakam and OG Anunoby and even Fred Van Vliet have all been very interesting guys for the Raptors, uh, especially as of late. But the one thing that I didn't see coming with the Raptors is how bad they would be on the road. Now, I know. In seasons past, they're usually a good deal better at home than they are on the road. But uh, so far this season, I mean, don't get me wrong, they've almost had double the amount of games on the road that they have at home. So, you know, it's a little uh, bit of a a small sample size for the home record. But with with the record at home, they are 6-1. And and on the road, they're only 6-6. That is 500, but you know, if you're trying to be a team competing for a championship, which we all assume that's what the Raptors are doing because they haven't really added, I mean, they, they haven't traded away their older guys for younger guys, so they're not in the tanking looking to build for the future phase. And they're not really going all out and trying to sign, you know, like, 
veteran free agents right now that would really push them over the top. They did get a Baca in a trade, and that was okay, but it really didn't move the meter on this team. It really didn't move them that far up or that far down at all. And so it's it's really just kind of a conundrum on where exactly they're moving. And as I was saying, at home they're six and one, on the road they're six and six. At home, they're averaging 112 points per game. On the road, it's only 107.8. At home, they're giving up 12, about 12 turnovers per game. On the road, it's a 15. And at home, they're giving up 101 points per game. And on the road, they're giving up 103. And even in the rebounding category, at home, they're t- they're grabbing 44 a game. And on the road, they're only grabbing 40 a game. I know that's only four rebounds per game. But in the grand scheme of things, those four rebounds can mean a lot, especially when it comes down to the ends of games, or if it just means that you're missing a lot of shots and not grabbing the same uh, offensive boards, or if you're allowing more offensive boards, then that would also contribute to you losing games. Because I, I know I've said it on here before, if you're giving up more and more second chance points, that's usually a formula of how to lose, not exactly a formula of how to win. <laughs> I mean, it's just basic math in that that category. Um, and throughout their 12 wins, Toronto's really only beaten about three to four playoff teams. Now, Utah, I mean, if you're considering last year, yes, they could have been a playoff team. But this year, they're not really looking like a playoff team. I'm kind of throwing in the Sixers in that in that playoff team range because right now they're looking like one, but technically I guess you would say they are not a playoff team. So if we were going like solely based on teams that made the playoffs last year that also look to be playoff teams this year, it would be three of them. I added the three to four because, like I said, Utah was in there. They did beat Utah, and they did beat Philly. Uh, but out of their 12 wins... To only have three or four, that's a third. It's a third or a fourth of their wins being against playoff teams. And that's okay. I mean, it's not awful, but it's not something to say like, hey, look, these guys are real. These guys, you know, they're they're, they're the real deal beating all of these good teams. Now, a lot of those teams were like the Chicago's, the Atlanta's, the, 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 the Knicks, those kind of teams. I mean... They're not the Golden States of the the NBA. They're not the Clevelands. They're not even the Celtics. So there's still a lot of room to you know grow and and a lot of different teams that they will try to have to beat later on. Um, the biggest conundrum so far to me has been Kyle Lowry. He really, really was in a slump to start the season. Starting to shoot better now, um, but he's becoming a better rebounder than he is a distributor. Um, And I mean, that would be cool and all if you're already distributing like, you know, 9, 10 assists per game, but he's not up to that right now. But he is grabbing a lot of boards. And, I mean, just in their game against Indiana that they did lose, uh, he went up for a rebound against two big guys. 
and one of them being Sabonis. Sabonis had the ball in his hands, and in the air, Lowry grabbed the ball and ripped it out of his hands on the way down to the floor and then pushed it out for a break and got an assist. Now, that's something that I have seen Lowry do before, but it wasn't that often. And it seems like this season he's been doing that more and more often, and it's almost head-scratching as to why does he need to be doing that where he should be kind of distributing the ball a little bit more, getting more guys involved, and trying to make this thing a team effort rather than a DeRozan-Lowry, then, okay, rest of the team, kick in when you can effort. Because this team is not good enough to ride the backs of Lowry and DeRozan all the way to the finals. Those two guys are not a LeBron and Kyrie duo. It's not, they're nowhere near that caliber. Yes, they're good. Yes, they're stars, but they're not superstars. They're not the kind of guys that will win you a championship alone. So what they really need to do is get the entire team involved and get the entire team on a roll to really put fear into any other kind of championship contending team. Because then they can't only shut down one of those two guys and be sure that they're going to win. I mean, in the playoffs, we've seen teams shut down either or Kyle Lowry or DeMar DeRozan, and that team usually wins over the Raptors. Most of the time, they have to have both guys in the 20-point range to win a game. Otherwise, if they're not, they had to have had a outlier, outstanding game from another player. But if you're regularly getting the rest of your guys involved, if you're regularly, you know, di- distributing the ball to a guy like OG Anunobi, to a guy like Siakam, to Abaka and uh, Valanchunas, to uh, even getting Van Vliet more involved like you did with Corey Joseph before, those kinds of things will help in the long run because then when it comes to playoff time, these guys aren't worried about you know, oh my god, this is my first time doing this this part of the game all season for this team. Now it's in the playoffs, and now it's high pressure, and now, like, I'm freaking out. No, it, they, they've been there, they've done it, they have the confidence now that they can help help push this team to a win, and that's going to help you in the play, playoffs, and that's going to force the other teams to be more honest about the rest of your supporting cast and have to play more defense on them, also in turn freeing up your star players, which is only going to help you. And so that's something that I would like to see the Raptors do more often is get more of these guys involved, uh, get these guys, you know, get them shooting some more, get, get DeRozan and Lowry shooting a little bit less, have them pick their spots a little bit more than they already are. And I mean, OG Anunobi is one guy that, I mean, he's a, he's a, a rookie that people have been overlooking a, a lot in terms of rookies really performing. Um, I mean, he's, he's moved up into the starting slot. He's, I mean, his averages aren't amazing. He's he's still only averaging 18 minutes a game. But he's putting up 6.7 points, 2 rebounds, 1 assist per game, while shooting 39.6% from 3 and 50% from the floor. So his per 36 stats were 12.9 points, 3.8 rebounds, 1.9 assists, 1.6 steals. He's a 13.9 player efficiency rating 
a 126 offensive rating, 107 D rating, a 62% true shooting, 62%, a 3.1 offensive box plus minus, and a negative 0.3 defensive box plus minus. So he is contributing. OG Anunobi is probably contributing more than a lot of people expected as well. There was a lot of people, you know, thinking that he was going to be another guy that'll be slowly, slowly, slowly brought in off the bench and he'll, you know, start contributing a little more, a little more, and then maybe a couple seasons later he could be a starting talent. But he is the hustle player on that starting squad. Like when you talk about guys giving it their all, Lowry does hustle. Don't get me wrong. Lowry gives it his all game in and game out. But when it comes to DeRozan, Abaka, and Valanchunas, it just doesn't seem like those guys give the same amount of energy as Lowry and Anunobi. It just doesn't. When I watch the games, I don't get the same feeling from those guys. I don't get the same feeling that they're going to put it all out on the line, die for a ball into the stands, and try and save something, even if they're winning the game by 10 points. Or even if they're losing by 20 and it's the fourth quarter, I don't get the same feeling that those guys would put out that kind of energy. But guys like Lowry, guys like Anunobi, guys like Siakam, those guys are going to give you that all, that blood, sweat, and tear mentality. And when you're a team who's fighting to be known as a competitor, as I said, with two guys who are stars but not superstars, you need more guys with that kind of mentality. Because you have to find your niche that will combat the superstar level of other teams. You have to find what is going to beat LeBron. And being a star, but not a superstar, and not having the blood, sweat, tears mentality is not even going to get you close to that. As we've seen by LeBron consistently dismantling the Raptors pretty much every single time. There... There has to be some kind of, like, you're giving away on this end of, of the stardom level, but you need to be piling even more on to the end of effort, energy, and just all-out hustle level to balance those kind of things out. And so, if you give Anunobi more of those starts, I mean, he's going to give you that kind of energy. Like I said, Siakam will give it to you. Powell off the bench gives it to you, Pirtle, Van Vliet, those guys have been some great energy guys coming off the bench, and that is what you need more of, and when it happens, when, they, when they're when they on the road, it seems that, I mean, which is, don't get me wrong, before I say this, it's honestly uh, common in the NBA, it's just some guy, some teams can do it better than others, but their energy seems to be lackluster on the road. They start well, and then it kind of fizzles out. They seem to be lulled to sleep, and then they end up losing games, kind of like the Indiana Pacers game, when Lance Stevenson got the whole crowd fired up because he hit a few shots in a row, and he can play to the crowd. The Raptors kind of just sink into themselves, and they just don't seem like the same team anymore. Now, like I said, this does happen to a lot of teams, but usually that kind of thing happens to the younger teams, the more inexperienced teams, and the not-so-good teams. The elite-level teams who are competing, that kind of thing does not happen to regularly. And this is why the Raptors are not truly looked at as a as a championship competitor-level team. So there's a lot more things that they can work on. 
Um, I mean, they're 23rd in the league in three-point percentage. They're 23rd in the league in rebounds per game. Like you're 23rd in the league when you have a when you have a guys when you have a guys when you have guys like um, Jonas Valanciunas and Abaka. These two are usually some pretty good rebounders. You even have guys like Pirtle, guys like Siakam coming off the bench who are also decent rebounders. You have uh, Bebe coming off the bench who's also a good rebounder. I mean, he's a big body to put down there that can box people out. And you're 23rd in the league. Now, I remember when the Celtics were really bad at rebounding last season, it was because they were playing a lot of, you know, mismatched guys in terms of size their biggest player really was Al Horford and he's not even looked at as like a real center physicality wise so if you are being like if you're putting up those same kind of rebounding numbers as Boston was last season with much bigger guys and guys who are usually looked at as decent rebounders then there's something going on there with energy and an effort because as a lot of people say rebounding is mostly effort and energy going for the ball every single time and so something has to be changed in that department there's something that that has to kind of click with this team to realize we're not going to be a contender this way and I know it's the beginning of the season but you're you have to really iron those things out earlier rather than later because Really, the only team I've seen, the only two teams I've seen that can flip a switch randomly and and get to that kind of level out of nowhere is LeBron and Cleveland and the Golden State Warriors. And we all know, I mean, this isn't a secret. This, this, we have everybody here, even Toronto fans know. You guys are not that level. So you can't flip that switch. You don't have a switch. You can't say, uh, uh, Google, flip that switch for me and let us get to the championship. Uh, no, the, the Google Home ain't helping you here. No, sir. You got to do it yourself. You got to go the old school way, walk over there, flip that switch, and have the lights on before it gets dark. You know what I'm saying? That was a very weird analogy, but I'm you know what I'm saying. And so... This is what they have to do. I mean, they're going to need a lot more of a contribution from people outside of the Lowry-DeRozan duo. Abaka and Valanchunas are going to have to be less streaky and more consistent. And mm, they're just, you know, it's like they're right there. They're knocking on the door, but ain't nobody letting them in there. (laughs) Like, they have to force their way in there with something and it's just right now on this roster, that's not that something. And you're gonna have to just do something else because, sure, you're getting into the playoffs. You're getting, you're even breaking record like Toronto Raptors franchise records for the best you know record in a season, and that's all well and good. But it's not winning you anything. You're not getting anything out of that. You won. I mean, you only won one Atlantic Division title out of that too out of the last two seasons when they had the best records in their franchise history, the Celtics won it last season, and nobody even expected them to be up there. So it's not getting you anything. Sure, it's getting you people a little excited in Toronto and like kind of happy that their team is decent, 
But now you see all these young and up-and-coming teams almost surpassing the Raptors at this point. And you're just kind of sitting there looking at them like, well, what are you guys doing? Yeah, We've been this way the last few seasons, and we still can't. We still do the same exact thing. And I don't, like, Case, Dwayne Casey is a decent coach. But I think it's a combination of, like, front office and coaching. Like, you need to get different people in there that will push them up over the over the top and actually get them past the better teams in the playoffs. So moving on to the Knicks, we got Kristaps Porzingis not just being a unicorn, but like a beastly unicorn. Like this is like a unicorn on steroids. Like this is like the the Barbaro or the the Secretariat of unicorns. This this unicorn is out there like shooting laser beams out of its freaking head. Like a like a Austin Powers movie. <laughs> um, I mean, he's been dropping thirty point games, forty point games, tons of twenty point games, getting double doubles, blocking people, still getting tip dunks. I mean, this guy has restored life to Madison Square Garden in a place that looked barren of any life forms. It looked like Mars, and we had a rover come in every few nights a.k.a. the other team, and just witness the corpses around in the stands as if they were real people, but really they were just there because it's the Knicks, and it's New York. But there was no energy. Now all of a sudden, we got some energy in there. Now all of a sudden, fans are packing that place. Now all of a sudden... There's life. And Kristaps Porzingis has been the main guy to bring that to him. And like Toronto, the Knicks are a tale of two teams as well. At home, the Knicks are doing well. At home, the Knicks are 9-3. and three. On the road, the Knicks are 1-6. and six. Uh, <laughs> At home, they're putting up 109 points per game. On the road, though, 96 points per game. At home... They're giving up 102 points per game. On the road, they're giving up 108 points per game. So at home, they are outscoring their opponent by, on average, 7 points a game. On the road, they are getting outscored by their opponent by about 12 points per game. So you can kind of do the math and see what's the issue here. Uh, And then at home, they're turning over the ball about 14 times a game. But on the road, it's 17 times a game. And their opponent at home is giving up the ball 14 times. As compared to on the road, they're only giving it up 12 times a game. And for a young team like the Knicks, and a team that kind of doesn't exactly have an identity other than kind of give it to Chris Tapps and let him go to work, and then sometimes we'll have Hardaway Jr. pop in and hit a couple threes for us, and then we'll have Michael Beasley, the quote-unquote same level player as Kevin Durant and LeBron James come in and, you know, maybe hit a couple shots. That's really your whole identity. So, uh, yeah, that's not going to help you very much. Just saying. Um, But, yeah, that's really all I have on the Knicks right now. Uh, I'm going to watch a lot more game tape on them as well. I really want to look more into, you know, their... 
their motions on offense and exactly what they're running. Um, I haven't been able to watch as much of them as I would like to, so I'm going to definitely watch a lot more game tape on them and get back to you guys on that. Uh, but yeah, they, I mean, they, at least they're giving their fans something fun to watch. And that is something that, Hey, shout out to you, Knicks fans. You guys have been waiting for at least something fun to watch for a while now, uh, since like 2011 or 2012. So it's been a while. So shout out to you guys for sticking it through there. I mean, it's the Knicks. They'll probably disappoint you at some point, but enjoy the fun at home while it lasts. Anyway, moving on to the Sixers. We have news on Markel Fultz. His timeline was pushed back as per usual. I mean, everyone kind of saw that coming, especially with how the Sixers training staff has been. So he won't be coming back for another few more weeks. Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons have been better than expected. They have been dominant almost. Ben Simmons, obviously we're still waiting for him to be a little bit more aggressive on the shooting aspect of offense. We've seen him, I mean, he can pass the ball with the best of them. That's no question. We have seen his passing ability and it is already, if not elite, it's close to elite. Let's be honest here. It's it's pretty much up there, but we need to see what his level of scoring ability will be. And it has shown signs of elite, but it's also shown signs of, you know, pretty, pretty bad. Uh, <laughs> Joel Embiid, on the other hand, though, has been showing some very elite skills uh, on the offensive end, on the defensive end, on the trash-talking end, on the social media end. And so... Does all right. Does it make you the real goat if you're elite on the court, off the court, on social media, and just even in trash talking? Like Michael Jordan was obviously a goat in trash talking. We all know that. He was a goat on the court. I mean, I guess you can say he's a goat off the court for like the Jordan brand and everything, but he didn't have social media, and even now with social media, he's not really even on there. But Embiid is. So he's already got one leg up. And he's definitely better than LeBron in the social media world. So, you know, just some food for thought. Anyway, the one thing I want to talk about is people blaming Brett Brown for the loss against Golden State and calling for him to be fired and calling and saying that Brett Brown isn't a good coach all of a sudden. First off, the loss against Golden State, they're facing the reigning champion, a, a team that has won more than 70 games in a season. A team that has Kevin Durant, Steph Curry, Klay Thompson, and Draymond Green. And you want to say it's Brett Brown's fault for this team giving up a big lead to the Warriors. That is the biggest load of BS I have ever heard. First off, the coach doesn't lose leads. Sure, he might have been able to call a timeout in the time that they were coming back. And people were like, you should have put Ben Simmons in. Well, Ben Simmons was in seven minutes of that of the, the, the stretch that Golden State went on to really bring the score back. Seven minutes might not sound like a lot, but in a single quarter, seven minutes is a lot. 
And so Ben Simmons wasn't doing anything to limit that stretch either. Neither was Embiid. Neither was anyone else on the team because it's the Golden State Warriors where Durant and Steph Curry will flame on any team at any given moment as you can see that they beat the Cavs 4-1 to who possess the greatest player on this planet. But you want to say it's Brett Brown's fault. That makes zero sense. We understand that sometimes his time management as far as timeouts can be better. But as far as tactical-wise, as far as even rotations and putting guys in the right places, he's even found that the duo of Rashawn Holmes and Joel Embiid can produce. And yes, before he might not have been able to make the pairing of Nerlens Noel and Okafor work, but... We've also seen that those guys haven't really been working at all in general on their own. Not even Noel is getting much playing time down in Dallas. So, please tell me again how that's his fault when Noel is with a guy like Rick Carlisle, who's widely regarded as a very good coach. Again, Brett Brown is doing a great job with this team. There are things he can get better at, as well as things that the whole team can get better at. They're not going to be a championship contender this season. And people keep saying that. It's not going to happen. They need a couple more seasons still to become that kind of contender. And so you guys just got to relax. Please, just chill out for a little bit. Enjoy the Eagles and their run. And let Brett Brown operate with the Sixers and get the Sixers to a level that then they can finally become championship contenders. But just give it a little bit of a rest right now. Anyway, that is it for me, guys. I do not have an out-of-bounds segment this this time. Uh, there's nothing really I feel that... Actually, no, there is something. Uh, net neutrality. I know I said no politics and stuff, but this is something that can directly affect us here at Basketball Society. Uh, I, I encourage you guys to be for net neutrality uh, just because... If that gets wiped out, there is a chance that your well, I won't even say there is a chance. Most likely, even though on Twitter Comcast was like, we support net neutrality. Don't don't listen to them like that because there's been so many times that Comcast has said things like, we're not going to charge you more to uh, get you better internet speeds. And look where we are now. They're charging you more to get better internet speeds. So there's you can't trust anything that those companies say at all uh they're just trying to say stuff to get you onto their side so that they can charge you more money like they usually do and what would happen if they take out net neutrality is that these kind of internet service providers can charge you guys for more for a package uh kind of like your your cable so say um, you spend a lot of time on social media. Well, they can charge you an extra like ten ninety nine per month to use the social media sites. But that doesn't include, say, YouTube. So if you want to watch video sites as well, well, that could cost you another five ninety nine per month for that package. And a lot of people were like, "Well, hey, that might save me money because then I don't have to spend money on those packages." Well, that's the other thing. They'll probably still still require you to spend the same amount on the internet speed package as it is. Those packages will just be on top of that. So technically, you would still be spending the same amount of money. And they can even start to slow the connection to websites they don't agree with as say a, you know, a liberal 
presidential candidate um, pays money to Verizon to block Fox. That could happen. Say the reverse happens. Republican candidate pays Comcast to block CNN. Also could happen. And this directly affects, you know, the small businesses and the startup, you know, singers, songwriters, artists, video makers, whatever, because that means people have to pay more money to see their content, which in turn gives them a lower amount of people to watch their work, a lower amount of people to, I mean, they, they could even charge you to download podcasts now. And that's not even going to us, that's going to your cable company. So then you're paying more money for them rather than to get better content. So in turn, I encourage you guys to be for net neutrality. I encourage you guys to, you know, speak out on it and and get involved in it and call your congressman, congresswoman, whoever it may be, and just tell them that you, you know, be honest about it. Like if you really think, if you really really think that net neutrality is not the right way, I really like I really encourage you to read up more about it and read how other countries are dealing with that kind of same packaging that I was talking about before because they do not have net neutrality. So I, I encourage you to, to at least look it up uh, and, you know, go from there. But that's it for me, guys. I'll be back with you again later this week. We got a two-episode week here because we have Mike Bash coming on talking about the Brooklyn Nets. So, as always, make sure you check out basketballsocietyonline.com and check out the Underdog Sports Podcast Network. Always great content. All the sports all the podcasts, all the content. Anyway, thank you guys for listening, and I'll catch you guys next time. Peace!